This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I am your host, Eric Christensen, and I thank you so much for listening today. Hopefully you can pick up some uh, practice pearls and uh, good medication education here. So today I'm going to cover doxepin. So doxepin, uh, brand name Sinequan, that's an older brand name, and there's also a, a newer brand name product, Silenor, as well, which is a lower dose uh, medication intended for sleep. Uh, they are both uh, forms of doxepin there. Uh, in my mind, way for a drug company to make a little bit more money uh, off the the sale of of Silenor, the the low dose that they've uh, studied for sleep. But um, anyway, we do have this medication is a TCA, so it's a tricyclic antidepressant. So mechanistically, how this drug works, uh, you know, it's going to be like your amitriptylines, your nortriptylines, which you can go back and uh, listen to to those podcasts in the past. But essentially. Uh, it's inhibition of serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake, which in the end increases the amount uh, in that synapse and available for uh, activation and, and physiological effects. So that's the primary class that doxepin comes from. Okay, However, it does have other uh, mechanisms of action and one of those primary mechanisms of action other than the TCA effect with the SNR or with the SNRI uh, type effect is it can block histamine. Now, if you remember from previous episodes, that blockade of histamine can lead to a couple of different effects. So one is anticholinergic, so we'll we'll talk about that in, in adverse effects. Uh, but antihistamine effects can cause sedation and sleepiness. So antihistamine, good for itch, good for insomnia. And that is the situation where I've seen this medication used the most. Uh, honestly, I cannot recall the last time I've seen doxepin used for uh, specifically for depression. The most common situation I've seen it used for is a combination of insomnia and itch. Okay, so that's I think likely where where you're going to see it the most, because we're treating insomnia and maybe some itching at night. Obviously, this drug is going to be dosed in the evening or at night. Okay, so those adverse effects uh, it can be very sedating for some some patients, and again, it really is a dose-dependent effect. So the higher the dose, the more likely you're probably going to have uh, those sedative-type effects there. Uh, other considerations, adverse effects, um, there is a boxed warning um, with antidepressants and doxepin is under that classification. Um, so don't forget about that. I, I went through that a little bit, but you know, suicidal ideation and, and those type of risks uh, the antihistamine 
anticholinergic type effects. Uh, this drug is on the beers list. Okay, so as especially as we get to higher doses, you know that's going to lead to um, more and more anticholinergic effects. So those anticholinergic effects they can um, cause memory problems and confusion, dry mouth, constipation, um, urinary retention, dry eyes. Uh, which can be really, really problematic in our geriatric patient population uh, especially. So uh, very important to remember this drug, uh, definitely not an ideal agent if we're strictly using this just for insomnia, at least in, in my mind. Um, you know, drugs like uh, trazodone and things of that nature may be a little bit uh, on the, the safer side, especially when it comes to those anticholinergic effects. Uh, I do want to mention a couple other adverse uh, drug reactions that's maybe in relation to um, its mechanism of action as a uh, you know TCA with the norepinephrine and serotonin type effects. So um, first one I wanted to mention, obviously serotonin risk. So if you've got a patient on serotonergic drugs, it could add to that effect and contribute to a serotonin uh, syndrome type of, of situation. Again, extremely rare that serotonin syndrome ever occurs, but as we add on more and more drugs that could have that activity, uh, it has to come into our um, risk calculation as far as if this is going to be a concern or not. Uh, one other one I did want to mention was SIADH. So, you know, antidepressants in, in general, a lot of them that, that deal with um, that have, I should say, SSRI activity, um, which doxepin does have that uh, serotonin reuptake type, reuptake type activity. So it's important to remember that. And uh, any potential patient that has hyponatremia, uh, there is a, a potential that doxepin could increase that risk of contributing to that. Okay, let's take a quick break from our sponsor, meded101.com. If you're in the market for board certification study material, such as NAPLEX, BCPS, BCACP, BCGP, or BCMTMS, definitely go check out our study materials at meded101.com slash store. Uh, we've also got uh, general materials for uh, clinicians in general. So if you're a PA, nurse practitioner, uh, maybe a med student physician, uh, nurse, we've got um, materials there. Uh, just recently reduced, uh, released a drug interaction book. So um, go check that out. I cover uh, easily the, the top 200 drugs uh, in that book and point out some of the most common interactions, and more importantly, uh, some questions to help assess those interactions and, and identify how serious some of those drug interactions are. So definitely go check out all those resources, all the links, meded101.com slash store. Okay, so let's finish up on drug interactions with doxepin. So the, the biggest one from a metabolism standpoint with doxepin, uh, I think about CYP2D6. So doxepin is metabolized by CYP2D6. So if we have an inhibitor or an inducer, that can alter the concentrations of doxepin. Specifically, some of the most common inhibitors I see used 
uh, bupropion, paroxetine, fluoxetine, those drugs can inhibit CYP2D6, which is going to lead to higher doxepin concentrations and that potential to run into some of those anticholinergic, antihistamine-type adverse effects. Now, there are a few other drug interactions besides CYP2D6 that I want to mention. Serotonin syndrome, I kind of talked about that already. Um, Additive effects with SSRIs, uh, you know, maybe a tramadol, all those type of medications that have serotonergic activity, doxepin could add to that. So something that, you know, we keep an eye out for and obviously recognize if patients are on higher doses of some of those serotonergic drugs, doxepin could increase that risk for serotonin syndrome. Uh, anticholinergic additive effects. So I think of, you know, some of your over-the-counter antihistamines, maybe a situation where a patient picks something up over-the-counter, maybe they start taking doxepin, they say, hey, this isn't, you know, working really well, or I need it to work a little bit better. So now they start taking, you know, an over-the-counter sleep agent, you know, a Unisom, a Benadryl, diphenhydramine to kind of add to that insomnia uh, benefit or that you know sleep type effect well we're also doubling up on a lot of those anticholinergic effects so your your confusion your um, dry mouth your dry eyes those can all be added on top of what doxepin already does there Uh, sedation so sedative effect um, you know not just from an anticholinergic antihistamine perspective but if we've got other sedatives so you know, a trazodone on board, if we've got a benzodiazepine on board, opioids on board, uh, that in combination with doxepin could kind of exacerbate that sedative type effect. So what you might want to do in that situation is obviously be more conservative maybe with dosing and or reduce some of the other agents that, that may be sedative if we're adding this on board. Uh, When you're adding any new medication for insomnia, I I strongly encourage you to take a look at that medication regimen and make sure that patients aren't already on something for insomnia. This is one of the areas of polypharmacy that I see all the time. So a patient starts taking melatonin over the counter, uh, then they, you know, doesn't work for them, so maybe they, or doesn't work very well, so then they report it to their you know, primary care provider, their primary care provider adds something. Uh, they come back months later. Yeah, I'm, I'm still struggling with sleep, you know, and that type of thing. And, you know, then we get a new medication or a different medication on board, or they go try another over-the-counter supplement or medication. Okay. So this is really an area where we can, um, pay attention, make sure patients aren't taking multiple, multiple medications, for insomnia, because that definitely happens out in practice. It's something I see on a pretty regular basis, more often than I would certainly uh, like to see it. So definitely pay attention to that um, adverse effect and that risk for drug interactions, that cumulative uh, type effect. And then one last one, QTC prolongation uh, is a potential concern with doxepin, and it's obviously going to be more concerning if we add it on board to other drugs that can add to that effect. Your uh, antiarrhythmics like amiodarone, um, your 
QTC prolonging antipsychotics, for example. So there's lots of, of different medications that could prolong the QT interval, um, but that's definitely a, a risk assessment uh, that you need to think about and, and talk about. And I do uh, talk about some of those cases um, and kind of my strategy and, a, and approach in dealing with some of those cases um, in my new book, Clinician's Guide to Common Drug Interactions in Primary Care. So uh, definitely go check that out. Uh, support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store. Also, snag your free PDF at reallifepharmacology.com. Uh, quick and easy to sign up there. Simply follow the um, podcast, get your free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. Lots of real-life uh, clinical pearls with regard to the top 200 drugs, as well as stuff that shows up on exams. Um, believe me, I've taken a lot of pharmacology exams throughout my career, and um, yeah, it's definitely stuff that uh, you will be tested on at some point uh, throughout your career if you have to do any certification, recertification, or if you're in school looking to, to pass some of those exams. So go snag that resource for free. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast today or enjoyed any of our other podcasts in the past, definitely uh, leave us a rating review. It helps us reach more people. Uh, if you've also enjoyed the podcast, share us. Uh, send it out to your, your email listserv, uh, your classmates, uh, whoever you think um, could benefit from the, the podcast. We greatly appreciate uh, that grassroots support, and uh, it keeps me going and uh, helping to try to reach new people and share medication education uh, with some new healthcare professionals as well as maybe some older healthcare professionals. So I'm going to sign off for today. Track me down on reallifepharmacology.com, meded101.com. Hit the contact me button. You'll track me down. Uh, social media platform, LinkedIn. It's probably the one I'm most active on. Uh, so if you want to, um, yeah, go ahead and, and friend me on there or, or connect with me on there. Uh, feel free to, to do that. So uh, signing off for today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, take care and have a great rest of your day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.